Hello, my name is Will, and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, the one and only podcast in the world dedicated to the study of helicopter explosions in film. Now, in 1948, President Harry Truman ordered that the U.S. military end its policy of racial segregation. Around the same time, a young African-American called Carl Bashir joined the Navy with ambitions to become a diver. But while the policy of racial discrimination may have ended, its practice certainly hadn't. And in order to achieve his goal, Bashir had to overcome not only the prejudice of his peers and superiors, but also disability after he lost a leg in a shocking accident. So to help me discuss the movie of this true life tale of nautical heroism, I'm joined by a man who's intellectually lost at sea. He's not waving, he's drowning. With me once again is my good friend Dara. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I love these introductions. Yes, mentally, physically, I'm I'm spent force. Well, you know, I like to be the top dog on these podcasts. That's why <laughs> it's why I keep coming back to you. Uh, it's like is it sort of a care in the community thing? It's less more sort of stroking my ego rather than uh, I I really am not concerned about your mental or physical health. Yes, that, that's evident from uh, from our conversations. Nice to know you've got friends. But, you know, I do like to have you on uh, regularly, but it did cross my mind the other day that, uh, you know, do you actually listen to uh, any of the shows that you're not on? Not really. I tend to find them dull in my absence. That oddly doesn't surprise me. (laughs) Now, before we get started on Men of Honor, I always like to check in with you uh, about things that you've been watching lately. So uh, hopefully you've got something interesting for me. Yeah, not too not too bad this week. Uh, it's a pretty good film. got uh, lucky enough to see a preview, I don't think it's actually out in the cinemas yet, of a new Disney film. Not instantly the sort of thing I'm drawn to, but this one was called Queen of Katwee, and it is a feel-good, feel-good movie based on a true story, very similar to what we're going to be talking about in uh, Men of Honor, a true story about... A a basically uh, a Ugandan chess prodigy. Now, stay, <laughs> stay, stay with me here, because uh, it's actually a really, really great film. Um, it's basically set in you know a backwater in Uganda and follows a, a, a family who basically are, are living in slum conditions. And um, one of the children finds out, even though she's not going to school, that she's actually got a, a, a real talent for chess. And the character in question is played by Lupita Nyong'o, which uh, a lot of our listeners will probably be aware she's kind of a breakout star from, from this year, last year. And it basically is overseen by an outreach coordinator played by David Oyuelo, uh, who's also been, been quite a few things lately. And uh, it's just a lovely story. It's beautifully shot. Um, it's obviously set in real locations in like rural Uganda, directed by um, Mira Nair, who's a Bollywood director, is obviously making some for first films into Hollywood. So she knows kind of how to shoot that kind of squalor uh, and make it look attractive uh, so uh, I guess that's why it looks so lovely but yeah it's funny get me one of those directors who knows how to shoot squalor shoot squalor it's, it's you know you know, you put that on your CV and you'll get all these kind of shots in uh, crazy outlandish places around the world guaranteed nice locations yeah funny touching thought provoking you know you feel the drama you feel the kind of the rise you know it's a lovely film and what it does well with these real stories and this might correct me if i'm wrong here will for a good film based on a true story you need the real characters to do a cameo so you can see what they look like and they can shake hands with the real actor or do give themselves a high five does that at the end and that warms your cockles when you see that i think i've only ever seen that in one other film I don't know if you've seen Domino, Tony Scott thriller with Kira Knightley playing this uh, female bounty hunter in L.A. It's a very loose adaptation 
of a real life person oh. and at the end they show you what she looks like and she doesn't really look like Kira Knightley let's put it that way the uh not many people the, do. the lifestyle of LA of an assassin an LA assassin <laughs> probably not going to keep pure it's going to not keep the wrinkles off uh, that's a that's a lot of late nights I'd imagine but I've got to ask you, Dara, you've, you've changed, man. I mean, I've known you for like over 25 years and you never used to watch films about Ugandan chess prodigies. <laughs> what's, what's going on with you? Maybe they weren't available in the 80s. Maybe if they were, I would have watched them. I don't think so. <laughs> you know, I'm a man of, you know, I'm a well-travelled man now, you see. I like to see there's more than just, uh, you know, green and pleasant land in the USA. There's a lot of countries out there. They're not all doing the same sort of things as we are. It's uh, good to keep your eyes open. I'm very suspicious of this newfound uh, art house interest that you've got. I still drown puppies. It's fine. I offset it. Just coming back to the film briefly. Are you sure you've actually pronounced the title correctly? Because it sounds like Katwe. Uh, that is the Ugandan pronunciation. I've had this uh, double checked. I'm not sure that's going to fare well in uh, European markets. I, know, I don't think they've thought that one through, to be honest. Katwe, Katwe, it's K-A-T-W-E. If our, if our listeners want to uh, comment and give us the correct pronunciation, I will take it on advice. Well, we're massive in Ghana, so I'm uh, I'm sure we'll very quickly hear about how to uh, pronounce that uh, massive, correctly. Massive in Ghana, huge in Mozambique. Okay, I think it's time to throw ourselves in at the deep end and take a look at Men of Honor. Before we do that, let's hear Trailer Man pithily outline the film's themes between a series of dramatically delivered sound bites. They were separated by rank. You let go before I relieve you, you fail my course right now. Mission to relieve the man below, Master Chief. I got no room in my class for heroes. You read me? But connected by courage. You listen to me, Oki, because this is a direct order. He'll be dead before you get to him, sir! You will not go in that water. Yes, sir! One man fighting for his honor. Your conduct is completely unacceptable and are hereby reduced in rank to chief petty officer. You think you're better than me? You're damn right I am. Well, let's just see. And one man... You're the one they talk about. ...driven beyond his limits to succeed. What did he say to you to make you try so hard? Be the best. Men of Honor came out in the year 2000. It stars Cuba Gooding Jr. as Carl Bashir, the first African-American to serve as a diver in the U.S. Navy. When he signs up to become a diver, he encounters a tyrannical naval instructor played by Robert De Niro. At first, De Niro does everything he can to force Cuba out of his training program, but the plucky recruit earns his respect. Later, the two men become allies when Cuba loses a leg in an accident that threatens his career in the Navy. The film also stars Charlize Theron and an impressive selection of gravel-voiced actors with Hal Holbrook, Powers Booth and David Keith all in eardrum-rattling form. It was directed by George Tillman Jr., who made the Biggie Smalls biopic Notorious and the Dwayne Johnson thriller Faster. The film was not really a critical hit, with pundits saying it was well-meaning, but old-fashioned and one-dimensional. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a critical rating of 41%, but interestingly, punters seem to like it a lot better, and it's got a, and they've given it an average rating of 81%. So, Dara, how did you find Men of Honor? Uplifting drama or saccharine schmaltzfest? Mm, I have to go for the latter, really. Uh, I don't know who these punters are who are... You know, giving it 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, it's a solid film. It's well made. 
the production values are great there's uh, obviously the big money cast but it's i just don't go for the it's it's a, it feels really really dated it's kind of this sappy melodramatic sort of string laden uh, american <laughs> dream um stuff that no disrespect to our american listeners but it feels a bit false some bits are good the underwater scenes are quite well shot and there's a uh, you know elements of tension there but that that bloody soundtrack Every time there's anything oh, poignant, yeah. just laden on these syrupy strings over the top, that instantly <laughs> makes me want to turn it off. I've got exactly the same note. I've got really manipulative, swelling horns and oh. strings. And they're just slathered over the soundtrack of this movie like a massive tin of treacle. It's awful. You know what? You know, they, they, you kind of think of it as a cliche. People say, yeah, soundtrack really makes the film, you know, really affects your emotions and stuff. And it does, in this case, for the for the, for the the worse, because what they're trying to do, it, make, it kind of makes me feel the opposite. You feel like you're being manipulated. It's a very obvious uh, oh, yeah. trick where, you know, when they want to get some pulling at the heartstrings, just whack on the violins or whatever. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, this, this film just methodically tugs every emotional string that it can, just one by one in a really formulaic way. Yeah, and that's it really. I mean, maybe if you're not if you don't watch a lot of films, then these kind of things uh, actually will will work for the benefit. But obviously judging by the reviews, reviewers who watch a lot of films don't fall for this nonsense. A lot of them have said it's melodramatic, sappy. Um the direction itself not really particularly original or groundbreaking. So it's kind of just sort of does what it says on the tin, you know. It's like it's a bit of like a white emulsion. It would just cover the wall. <laughs> You know, it covers the wall, but it's not very exciting and smelling too much of it will make you sick. And it kind of made me feel really bad, actually, sort of watching this film, because this guy, it's obviously a true life tale. And this guy, you know, he's obviously a hero. He's overcome terrible racism. He's then overcome crippling injury in order to achieve the goals that he wanted to do in his career. But you couldn't help but sort of snigger, really, at this film at sort of various points. And I say, it's a re- he's a really inspirational man. I don't really want to watch his biopic and sort of just be sitting there sniggering at it because its presentation is so it's so oh, so maudlin they've just troweled it all on yeah. and like, like we're saying they're just tugging every heartstring it's just like oh come on you don't need to don't need to manipulate it so much let the story speak for exactly. itself exactly it's the story is amazing enough as it is he really has overcome adversity you know just showing it and showing you know his struggles in a sort of pair back form would be enough for you to like and really appreciate what he's achieved in the end that scene the scene at the end where he has to cross the court in the big diving costume, the really heavy one. I really was hoping that his uh, you know, artificial leg would snap halfway through that <laughs> and that would be the end of it and we'd have a bit of realism. Well, I want to talk about how this film handles Brashear's story because it is, as we've already said, it's certainly a remarkable tale, but I kind of felt the film was really struggling to deal with the sheer amount of incident in Brashear's life. And if you're not familiar with, with the film or it's been a while since you've seen it, it starts with a few scenes with Carl as a, as a child on his father's farm. We then follow him as he enrolls in the Navy and we see the hostility that he faces in order. To, um, and after achieving this goal, we then see him working at sea on this really important mission during which he's badly injured and loses his leg we then see him have to overcome this disability in order to be reinstated back into the navy but it felt to me as if several parts of this film really suffered because there wasn't the time to develop them properly and i couldn't help but think that this film would have been better as a mini series or three-part drama so i don't know i don't know what you think about that yeah, I completely agree, really. It does go through his whole life story. There are films that do that and manage to make it work. But, yeah, I mean, the perfect example of that is his proposal to his wife. 
because I think you get about <laughs> you get about two shots of them, you know, going on a date, and then the next minute he's in the street asking the, you know her to marry him. Well, you've given a great example of where this film like really rushes things or, or has to compress lots and lots of story together because that moment where he proposes to his girlfriend, and I completely agree, she's barely been in the film and he's proposing marriage, but that marriage proposal happens a few moments after he's had a massive confrontation with Robert De Niro in this bar, this uh, ridiculous sort of uh, macho drowning game that they play where they kind of stick their heads into these helmets filled with water and see who can hold their breath the longest and which was a decent scene that was an okay scene that was an okay scene and it's an important scene in the movie because it's meant to be the moment which changes the dynamic between De Niro and Cuba Gooding Jr because up till then you know De Niro just been unrelentingly hostile and trying to stop Cuba Gooding uh, uh, to achieve his, his sort of goals in the Navy. But equally, the reason why Cuba Gooding Jr. had gone to that bar in order to have that confrontation, because he just found out that his dad had died. So you've got literally in the space of a few hours, Cuba Gooding Jr. learning that his dad has died, then has a life changing confrontation with Robert De Niro and then proposes to his girlfriend all in the space of like two or three minutes. Oh, I mean, I, I struggle to have my dinner and then go out in the next hour I need to have like at least three hours to digest my food this guy in the space of this two hour film they've really packed in all his life's achievements and problems and it is too much as you say nobody wants a film over two hours but yeah it could have been like a mini series or something like that but do people want a mini series would they maybe don't know don't think so well I don't know I think there are some really interesting aspects to this film that sadly because it had to be truncated into a two hour movie that didn't really get developed which potentially could have been really interesting so I think they have an idea in this movie of trying to make De Niro's character have an equivalent struggle so he is meant to be an alcoholic although that's painted so badly in the film it is a very badly sketched part of De Niro's yeah, maybe he wasn't really an alcoholic and they couldn't they couldn't for legal reasons actually actually make him to be an actual alcoholic it doesn't come across very well you're quite right well he's a composite character i was doing some oh, reading on it and and de niro's character is a composite of of three different people that Brashear met in his career and there is this sort of sanitarium where he's meant to be drying out and there's a couple of fuzzy references oh, in yeah. the script and it feels like they perhaps shot more stuff but then decided oh this is running too long we need to cut this down or we need to make or we need to change the focus of the story because I wonder if it was a bit more of a two-hander between sort of De Niro overcoming his struggles with alcoholism with his own prejudiced views and then obviously you have Cuba Gooding Jr's story on the other hand and I wonder if they then actually decided to change the balance Absurd. a bit yeah. in the edit suite I mean that probably would have worked a bit nicer there been a bit more balance and then when De Niro comes good at the end you can kind of see where they both kind of redeemed themselves from where they were but yeah I guess through the constraints of of making this film you can't include everything as you say because I don't know if you noticed there's a very odd scene in this film that so there's a confrontation in a sort of uh, a navy uh, celebration event where robert de niro punches this really irritating pen pushing kind of senior officer in the navy and in that scene you sort of see robert de niro he's clearly drunk he's clearly got his wife's lipstick all smeared round his mouth this you know and Charlize theron is with him and she's similarly got sort of lipstick all smeared over mm. over her mouth that's where the scene starts so you think okay how did these characters arrive at this moment 
and then get into this bar brawl. So it just there's lots of little scenes like that, which just seem to sort of pick up at a moment halfway through. And you just sort of wonder, well, where's the other half of this scene? Yeah, it's, this is not a film that people will be going back to. We're only going back to it because it's got an exploding helicopter in it. Otherwise, we would never have touched this film. The sort of thing you see late night on a cable channel. If there's nothing else on, you might look at it a bit because it's got De Niro in. But you won't be you won't be revisiting this film time and time again because it's pretty pretty standard, pretty dull, really. And what did you make of the tone of this? Because for me, it was dreadfully one note, and that one note is just played over and over again. Well. As we said before, it's the melodrama. I mean, I don't, I'm not a big fan of that kind of overly melodramatic films anyway. And this is just goes to the tenth, the nth degree. You know, it just because nothing kind of to lift it up. Like one thing I've highlighted, one thing I've underlined is the humour. There is none. There's literally no humour. <laughs> you need some sort of levity in a film if you've got a lot of drama, just a bit, just to give it some light and shade. There's literally I can't remember a single funny thing that happened. A kind of amusing character. You can we can all have serious films, but you need to have something that brings it in. I'm just thinking, it just just struck me now, like uh, a film like Forrest Gump. I guess that's a similar sort of thing in terms of a supposedly, obviously not a true story, but going through the life of someone and, and people overcoming obstacles, and that's got a lot of drama. It's got a lot of funny moments. It's got a lot of levity in it, and that's why that's a you know fantastic classic film that people watch again and again. But this isn't. It's just there's nothing to it. One note is the word. Well, I think that's down to the writing and, and Cuba Gooding Jr., the character that he has to play, he's just presented in this uh, one dimensional way. So he's just this unrelenting, determined. Yeah, well, he's just this unrelenting, determined force who won't be dissuaded or stopped from achieving his goal. I mean, he kind of comes across like as some sort of anti-racism terminator in terms <laughs> of his just sort of barreling forward, unstoppable force. Yeah, the real Carl Bashir must have been, you know, had to have those kind of qualities to get where he got, especially back then in the midst of, uh, you know, the segregation and, uh, you know, racism in America. First black uh, master diver going through all the problems that he did, you know, the only black guy in the whole platoon of white guys. I'm sure it was very, very difficult for him. You need some sort of gumption to get through that, but doesn't necessarily make for a great film when you to be as one dimensional as that. Well, the only moment where the film does have that light and shade that you were talking about is there's a scene just before the the trial where or the, the court martial where they will decide whether Bashir can come back into the navy or not and there's a there's a brief moment there where you see Cuba Gooding Jr looking down at his missing leg and he sort of looks at himself in the mirror and he sort of looks at this picture of his dad and that's the only moment in the film where that permits Cuba Gooding Jr to have his character to kind of have any doubt about what he's doing or whether he will succeed or you know because he's he's kind of having having a bit of a rocky relationship with his wife at that moment as a consequence of what he's doing but he never really seems to reflect on it he's just so focused on what he wants to do that he's like well you married me live with it darling well yeah the you know i think his his family life suffers his uh, kids he doesn't get to see his kids even that bit's not funny though is it i just want no. some i wanted some humor i wanted something just to kind of liven up the two hours of my life i wasted watching this film <laughs> and just going back to the him being the only black guy in a uh, platoon or squadron of white people there's a sort of scene where 
we see Cuba Gooding Jr. arrive at these barracks, these naval barracks, and he kind of comes into the dormitory where all of the divers are sleeping. And they're so shocked and appalled at the prospect of having to share this dormitory with a black guy that they all troop off and Cuba Gooding Jr. then gets to spend the rest of the film just living alone in this dormitory and it was just like I was just wondering where did the others go that's got to be a bollocks <laughs> because what especially in the navy in the military, armed forces they want discipline and they want oh i don't fancy sleeping with this guy i don't fancy doing this because yeah. he's black there's no way you let that you do that you get <laughs> exactly that's sleep like, where you're told sleep where you're told you never that would never happen that is such a nonsense to try and create a them and us thing and this adversity so yeah it's things like that just who buys that you're not going to buy that at all now, we've got not one, not two, but three Oscar winners in the cast of this film. What did you make of the performances from the sort of the main actors here? Well, I don't know. Uh, De Niro's... He's, he's awful. He's, he's awful. Oh, you think he's that bad, do you? I think he's awful. This is one of the worst performances I think I've seen from him. Oh, I don't know. He's okay. I mean, he, you know, De Niro is good when he plays like italian mafiosi uh you know good fellery type people that's his thing he's good at that is he playing like a, a southern red oh yeah like rednecky thing didn't quite buy didn't quite buy i don't know he's quite he has that menacing the accent's terrible the accent the is terrible that's why you're not sure where he's from <laughs> was he from was he from was he french no uh, <laughs> um he 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 does that he does that menacing thing quite well he's a, you know he can be menacing and you, you you do feel his like force of his character, you know the the kind of master master oh, diver who doesn't want it. He's I, doing I, that terrible Robert De Niro gurning thing. That's where he kind of he's good at that. That's what he does. That <laughs> is Robert De Niro. What do you want him to do? Well, I want him to I want him to actually give a performance like he used to do. I've seen him give an interesting array of diverse performances across his career. It just feels like he's on total autopilot in this Cruise movie. Control. He's just doing that. He's just doing that classic Robert De Niro face where it looks like he's got a really bad taste in his mouth and he's just like <laughs> trying to pull down the corners of his mouth. He's just sort of grimacing away. Let's be honest, the De Niro's performance wasn't the the problem with this film. You know, this has a lot of faults. And I think, if anything, he kind of keeps it just above water, to use the uh, diving parlance. Um, <laughs> but, I, yeah, he was okay. He was all right for me. I think Cuba Gooding Jr. was pretty good in it as well. You know, I think he got... joking. No? Part of the problem, is, I think, is the writing. You know, the writing is awful. It's very pedestrian. There's nothing exciting that's happening. It's very melodramatic. But with the turds that they were given, I think both Kubrick and Jr. and De Niro did a plausible enough job. That's my opinion. Okay, what about the scene where Cuba Gooding Jr. finds out that his wife is pregnant? That was an appalling piece of acting. Was that, what, too much? Far too much. Far too much. It was huge. Where she says, oh, I'm, th- you know, I'm three months late. And he goes, late? What do you mean, late? And then he sort of st- starts like, oh, I'm having a baby. I'm having a baby. I mean, it's just so soap opera acting. It's terrible. Mm, um, I don't know. Um, yeah. What about the moment? What about the moment where Robert De Niro uh, smashes his radio? Cuba Gooding's face in that moment is it's terrible. It's like, I'm going to do shocked and startled. It's so, it's like really bad mugging. He's got a muggy sort of face though, hasn't he, Cuba Gooding Jr.? <laughs> I think we're gonna, we're gonna speak about Cuba, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s, uh, rise and fall, let's say, uh, later in the podcast. But yeah, you know, the whole film I'll take or leave it. Well, let's talk about Cuba Gooding Jr., because 
I find his career slightly fascinating in the way that obviously he was in some uh, some interesting films. He won his Oscar with Jerry Maguire. And then it was a pretty rapid descent, really, into complete anonymity. And Men of Honor, I think, is, is almost the moment before his career really uh, went down with all hands. It's a bit like Steven Seagal and... Uh, oh, what was it called? Uh, it's a bit like Steven Seagal and... Uh, what was that environmental film we did last time? I'm sorry. On Deadly Grounds. Okay. It's a bit like Steven Seagal and On Deadly Ground. It was kind of the film before the demise and the straight-to-DVD hell. Um, <laughs> because I, I was having a little look. Because, you know, it's funny how some actors are, like, massively in vogue for, you know, three or four years. And they're in everything. And they so they do so well. And then suddenly they just completely disappear. And, you know, I always I always do this when I watch films. You know, they'll be like, oh, I recognise that guy's face. Let's Google him. Let's do Wikipedia. And you see, like, they haven't done anything for ages. They've done rubbish films. And you kind of wonder, how does that happen? I did a little bit, tried to do a bit of research about what could explain Cuba Gooding's sudden drop. You know, as you you mentioned, Boys in the Hood, he did, his breakout was amazing. He's really good in that. Fantastic film. Few Good Men he was in. And then he's just, I went through his um, IMDB list and he's doing... Like he got a zero percent Rotten Tomatoes, something called Murder of Crows in '99. It was like a straight to DVD nonsense. He's done Pearl Harbor, which is a terrible, terrible, awful film, but big budget. And then he did um, something called um, Snow Dogs or and Boat Trip, both Disney rubbish. Like before Disney actually made good films. And you know, I think he's going for like a payday. And I was trying to work out what's what's made him choose these awful films. Surely someone like him would be in demand. Apparently. He has gone through a lot of different talent agencies. He's had different agents. He like goes through an agent every six months. So ah. he either must be a really awkward customer to deal with, or there's something. You know, why would you change your agent so frequently? What what's Cuba Gooding Jr. got in his personal life that's making this happen? I haven't got to the bottom of that. It's beyond my search abilities. I don't know if you've ever heard about this. I haven't heard about this, but it's a very interesting little detail that you've uh, dug out. I, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued. I wish your uh, search engine had proved more fruitful because I'd like to get to the bottom of it. I know. We don't know the reason why, but the, the, it, in quotation marks, bounced like a tennis ball between talent agencies. <laughs> so that tells you something. Obviously, if you're going from different uh, directors, might not trust you to, you know, give you decent scripts. If you'll keep moving, you're not a state, you're not someone reliable. Has he got other, you know, I don't want to, you know, for fear, the exploding helicopter lawyers are busy enough as it is. I'm not sure I'm going to, you know, make up potential reasons why he's not, you know, involved in mainstream films anymore. I will just draw a veil and let the listeners make their own minds up. Well, just as we are huge in Ghana, I'm sure we're also huge in uh, Los Angeles. So uh, if our listeners with uh, links into the talent agencies there, then please drop Dar and I. Yeah. Get in touch. Yeah, we want to know the it's inside scoop on uh, yeah on Cuba Gooding Jr. Exactly. But he, he, he possibly, maybe his career's on the upswing because he was in that adaptation of, oh, what's his name? O.J. Simpson? Yeah, the O.J. Simpson thing. I, I personally haven't seen it, but I've, no, um, I've seen the reviews and a few people have mentioned it to me, and apparently it's very good. And that's a you know a mini series about uh, you know the, what happened with O.J. Simpson, which everyone was familiar with. Apparently he's very good in it, so you know I wish I wish him well on the road to recovery <laughs> from whatever ever personal problem is uh, befailing him. Well, <laughs> well, I'm sure your good wishes will mean an awful lot to uh, to Mr. Mr. Gooding Jr. Yeah, I'm sure he cares. <laughs> 
Okay, thanks, man. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be looking at a pretty terrible exploding helicopter. All right, guys. So we need to record our top three reasons why you should listen to French Toast Sunday podcast. Number three should definitely be our diverse opinions. Number two should probably be our top three lists that we do every week. No, it's got to it's got to be Mark Wahlberg. What about Gwyneth Paltrow's head? It's got to be fighting the sadness in the swamp of sadness. Full frontal stories about being lost at sea. Brendan Fraser being underground. Helen Mirren's boobs. Baltimore accents as heard in The Wire. Underclothes. Crepes. Character studies. Wait, 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 guys. What about movies? No. Tree rape. Hmm. Tree rape? Yeah, I like tree rape. Tune in every Friday for a new episode of French Toast Sunday podcast brought to you by us at FrenchToastSunday.com. We're back, and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action, and this occurs very early in the film. It appears to be just another day at sea for Cuba and the rest of the ship's crew, but we see a helicopter fly into shot, which is supposed to be delivering the mail uh, to the boat. The camera follows our hero as he moves around below deck when we hear a sudden crash and explosion. Cuba rushes topside where he and the viewer gets to see the burning wreckage of a helicopter slowly sinking beneath the waves. Dara, what did you make of the helicopter explosion in Men of Honor? Well, for a film of this, uh, you know, poor standard, it deserves a helicopter explosion that matches it, to be honest. This is the third cherry on the bakewell of helicopter explosions that's the really poor analogy i just made that off the top of my head that's a spectacularly bad analogy spectacularly but, uh, bad plow, like, plow on regardless plow on, plow on so what for yeah so there's an exploding helicopter the centerpiece of this is you know is this an action film there are moments of action you could say it's an action thriller biopic type thing so you've got potential here for one of the most exciting elements of a film an exploding helicopter show it in all its glory the chopper apparently we hear that it hits a radio it clips a radio mast one of the um one of the rotors clips a radio mast you could see that be quite a good shot see that spiraling towards see the explosion in the water see the pilot in the helicopter nothing just cuts to some charred debris in the water and as they try to winch it out I reckon that's another thing, like you mentioned, they've probably shot that scene and for whatever reason decided to cut it out of the film because it's either bad or they didn't have enough time. So you're kind of left with a half-assed kind of debris just to look at afterwards. Massively disappointing, massive fail from the director. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a huge moment of cowardice, isn't it? It's a bottle job. Bottle job. Like he was he had this he had the chance to contribute to the canon of exploding helicopters and faced with that career defining moment, he just bottled it. And he just thought, you know what, I, I can't think of anything I can possibly do with an exploding helicopter. So I'm just not going to show it at all. I'm just going to show Cuba Gooding Jr. wandering around below deck. It's not, it's not like they did it was short of a budget. This is a big budget film with a big budget cast. You could easily, you know, we've seen some very schlocky low budget films who have got, at least got the balls enough to, uh, you know, show an exploding helicopter in his full glory. And here they just, they've just not bothered or cut it out. I, I don't know. It's, it's a massive disappointment and doesn't redeem this otherwise poor film. And I was slightly confused. In the aftermath of this scene, when they send these deep sea divers over the edge to try and rescue the pilots from the wreckage, which is actually still visible sort of on the surface. <laughs> so I don't really. It's a, it's a real dog's dinner, isn't it? Yeah. What what bit are they going? I mean, how big is a helicopter? How many you know compartments does it got? Because 
They've they've winched most of it up, and yet they're going down to get. Yeah, we. Yeah, I didn't get that either, to be honest. Because they're trying to get these people out alive, but you know, it's we see how long it takes those people to put on that that kind of clobber that they yeah. go down into the seabed. So by the time they've got that garb on, this poor pilot is going to be uh, long dead. Isn't it? Yeah, long dead. Um, I it, it defies explanation. And talking of bad acting, there's a terrible Robert De Niro line reading at the end of that scene where he comes back on board and he takes off the helmet and he says in that dreadful kind of southern accent he's doing, Oh, God damn, if I'd been there only two minutes earlier, he'd be alive. <laughs> That's very good. You should have auditioned for this film, Will. I think you probably would have had a, a nice, uh, you'd have been a good extra in the racist white platoon. You could have you could have done well there, especially with that kind of accent. You could have been a buddy of De Niro's from down south. Well, I'm I'm definitely available for casting in any kind of white supremacy type roles that uh, Hollywood's got to offer. I think Cuba Gooding uh, Jr.'s agent is uh, free, uh, <laughs> so he he might pick you up on that because uh, yeah he he needs the work now. Well, maybe I can get a role in Men of Honor too. You could do. What what is uh, director George Tillman doing these days? He's drifted into television. As he now. He has, yeah. So I think he did a Me- couple Melodramas of... by any chance? No, it's sort of the decent TV series. I can't remember what they were. I did look at his CV. But yeah, he's he's drifted into uh, TV, which is perhaps uh, where his career is best suited. Yes. You he know, should... If you can't blow up a helicopter, you can't be trusted with a movie. Exactly. You can forget about a big budget. Forget it. Well, I think that just about wraps things up for this show. Dara, thanks for joining me once again. That's okay. Let's hope we get a better film uh, next time, Will. Okay, I'll see. Uh, I'll see what I can do, but no, uh, no promises. But right. uh, don't forget to check out the Exploding Helicopter website for reviews of lots of other helicopter explosions in film. We'll be back soon, but until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. God damn! If I'd just been a couple of minutes early, he'd be bleeding now. You did your best, Chief Sunday. Lieutenant Hanks? Yes, sir. Complete the diving operation. Yes, sir.